0: Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com, BlueNile.com. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255.
1: Mike, check one two. <clears throat> Mike, check one two. Hearing all these letters read aloud by damsels not in distress, host came to impress? Bitch, check your DMs. This is hot off the press.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren, and I'm Chloe. And today we are recording on Inauguration Day, and it just has a good vibe in the air. Let's just say that. Um, Uh, The guest that we have on today, it was really special to be able to have this conversation today. It was definitely like a cross-pollination between my two careers, um, which was really fun and just made me feel super grateful. And I'm super grateful to have this platform to talk about these important topics that we'll be getting into today. And, um, you know, it's nice that my day job also gets to focus on work that really makes a difference and matters for a lot of people that we'll get into.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask too, I know you, you double majored in Spanish in college, right?
0: Yeah. So I was really lucky and got to live in a bunch of different Spanish speaking countries, um, when I was in high school, but then when I went to college, I double majored and also got the opportunity to study abroad more there. So when I, um, graduated, I got the job like pretty much immediately. Um, and it was really nice because when I went to college, I really missed being able to speak Spanish and, um, some of the programs that are more specific, like BFA versus BA acting, um, you can't do a double major. So it was really important to me to be able to have that double major and, um, honestly had like impacted so much of what my life post-college has been. Um, so I feel very lucky.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, so I studied abroad in Bolivia for a little bit in college and I was always so amazed by the Spanish language. And I remember doing all this like Google translating while I was there. And one night I went out and I figured out how to say like, your child's really cute or like your son is really cute. And I said that to someone cause I was like, so excited to say it. And then he said all this stuff back so fast. And I was like, God damn it. And then I was like, I'm the problem now though. Cause then I, now I want him to speak English back to me. But, um, No, it's a beautiful language. So we're so excited to have Jose on today. Let's go talk to him. Today we are here with Dr. Jose Medina, who
0: is a very close colleague of Vine and is also a language researcher and sociocultural competence advocate. And I will let him explain more about what all of that means. Because as many of you know, this is not topics that we usually address on the podcast, but Um, I think I've mentioned before that I work as an editor for dual language schools, which works to create community among dual language administrators, teachers and researchers. And Jose is basically the cream of the crop as far as it goes in the dual language field. If you guys understood dual language, trust me, you'd know we have a celebrity here today.
2: Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm super excited. Um, I absolutely have loved um, working with a team at duallanguageschools.org. And of course, Lauren and I, um, we hang out virtually all the time because she actually is a person that I connect with um, every time that I write an article for duallanguageschools.org um, and create um, videos that are shared widely. So thank you, Lauren, first of all, for allowing me the space to come and hang out with you. And now I have a new friend. Ella yes, <laughs> Chloe. Um, and for those of you that don't know dual language um, and what that means, basically, I'm, I'm a language researcher. Um, I serve schools and districts throughout the United States and internationally. Um, and provide support to educators that are wanting to really cause disruption, like good trouble, right, um, yes. in the name of equity and social justice. Because the truth is that school systems in the United States really were conceptualized to promote a white, monolingual, monocultural, patriarchal, heteronormative, and often xenophobic way of teaching and learning and so as somebody who is super queer, super brown, and who loves to talk Spanglish, um, I feel like it's my duty um, to really lead that disruption. Um, and I've been doing that for a while. You know, I, I've been a teacher, an administrator, a principal, a district leader, and now live in the D.C. area. And um, Serve all over the country. So, mucho gusto. Gracias estar con ustedes, Lauren. Can I share my full name? Because I mean, I love my. Yes, full name. I
0: actually wanted you to do that, and I wanted you to, if you don't mind, explaining like why you like doing that. Because I remember when Jose first told me about this, he was like, "But what's your full name?" I was like, "I don't know, Lauren Harris." And then he explained to me like this is why we have to know our full name. And I don't know if i told you this, Jose, but when you asked me my full name you got me to consider my mother's maiden name, which is Balchunas, which then led me to explore my Lithuanian heritage. And I'm now applying to be a dual citizen in Lithuania and the U.S. So thank you for that.
2: You're very welcome. No, that makes me so happy. You hadn't told yeah. me that. Um, my full name, as you know, is long because um, when I started the schooling system, Chloe, you don't know this, but when I started school in, in Paso, Texas, um, as a new student, Um, I was a very nervous child and I never wanted to stay in school and so I got kicked out of kinder, um, ended up finally going to school the full day in first grade, but my teacher changed my name from Jose to Joe because she wanted me to more quickly Americanize me. And, um, and that's been a struggle. That was a struggle my whole life because I was Joe at school. Um, and then I was junior, I'm a, I'm a junior, um, but my parents only speak Spanish. So they say junior. Um, and it wasn't until my 20s. And even into my 30s that I was like, who the hell's Joe, my mom taught me my full name. And so my name is Dr. Jose Luis Medina Hernandez Franco Lopez Jr. Díaz Cruz. Um, That's my dad's two last names, my mom's two last names, I'm a junior. And then I added the Díaz Cruz um, because I've been married to my husband, um, Alvin Antonio Díaz Cruz uh, from San Juan, Puerto Rico for over 17 years. Um, So I wanted to make it even more, you know, like telenovela-like, longer Hmm. and more dramatic.
0: And you have a child. Can we hear the child's name?
2: Yes, our child's name. um, He's a four-legged child. His name is um, Nico Valentino Medina Diaz Hernandez Cruz. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, he needs to own himself, too. Um, You know, from the moment he was born two years ago, he needs to know that he is uh, somebody who has to own himself. He does um, identify as he, his, and him. So there you go. Those are his (laughs) pronouns.
1: That's such an amazing name. I just think of all like the basic boys that I'm trying to date now, and I'm like, you need to up your name game. You're
2: <laughs> I mean, come on, Chloe. They don't have a telenovela name. There's something questionable there.
1: Yeah, I think they <laughs> <in> the do. <door. laughs> well, I was just going to say if you could dig a little bit more into like kind of the dual languages and things because. I would love to kind of just learn more about it and why America is so hellbent on only teaching us English.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we're the only country that I'm aware of that really sees English monolingualism as equal to patriotism, which is so crazy. Like a multilingualism is the norm everywhere else in the world. But in this country, for some reason, um, We have just been opposed to that. And what's even more interesting is that if you're a person who has racial privilege and you speak Spanish particularly, because there's this um, hatred of um, those that speak Spanish um, here in the United States. So if you're somebody who has racial privilege and you speak Spanish, it's a global skill. But if you're brown and you speak Spanish, you immediately get identified as a student entering the schooling system as limited English proficient. Like that's actually the label given, given to our students. Um, rather than super fabulosity, multilingual child, um, which most kids that are Latino or Latine or Latinx, you know, because everyone um, deserves the right to identify as they wish, um, really is multilingual from the moment that they come out of the womb and many are simultaneous bilinguals. So dual language Um, programming really tries to do away from that kind of really culturally destructive ideology. And so students in dual language programs are able to um, receive usually 50% of their instruction in English and 50% of their instruction in the partner language. In many cases in the United States, most are um, Spanish English programs, but there are other dual language programs um, where the language, the partner language is Vietnamese or Mandarin. Um, And so it allows students this great opportunity to love their entire identity, which for the longest time we've been um, really culturally and linguistically oppressed in schools and have been told that we are not enough um, because we bring different into the educational space. Um, And so that's why I love dual language, because it really allows specifically Black Indigenous students of color an opportunity to feel valued and loved. um, And at the same time, bring those that, um, that are um, mobilizing English as their first language, also an opportunity to be language and cultural models for each other. So you get a mix of kids that really, um, I think has the possibility to change the world because the truth is we're all a hot mess. All of us bring bias and prejudice into the space, but in dual language, sociocultural competence and critical consciousness are the foundation of that dual language program. So it's not just about getting our kids kids um getting our kids to be bilingual and biliterate it's about getting them to understand that they need to own whatever bias and discrimination is in their heart but also to leverage whatever privilege they carry and be able to create access to that privilege for others and that's different that's a different kind of educational model
0: yeah and it's so interesting because it really is only the U.S. who does this English-only thing. Like, you go anywhere else in the world, people are speaking five languages, and that's by far incredible. I remember when I had a Spanish exchange program Intercambio, um, in Spain, my student spoke, like, five different languages when I was going to live with her in Seville just to learn one other language, you know? And at the time it was like, oh my God, you speak so many languages, that's incredible. But I think it was only because of my privilege that I was able to see it from my education and where I grew up and the Quaker school education that I've had that allowed me to know like, oh, it's amazing to be able to speak multiple languages but so many schools in the US don't have that opportunity or that privilege to understand that it is a privilege and also like an amazing benefit to yourself and like to your cultural outlook to speak multiple languages.
2: Absolutely. I mean, and I, I'm I'm paraphrasing a, a quotation from one of my favorite um activist and, and authors, Glorian Saldua, but she says that if you wanna if you wanna put me down, if you wanna destroy me, speak badly about my language, because I am my language. And I mean we don't have to think far. Remember that in 2019, in August of 2019, a white supremacist drove from the Dallas, Texas area to my hometown of El Paso mm. to kill as many brown folks who spoke Spanish as possible. We have videos every week, it seems, of somebody uh, uh, who's a person of color actually being targeted and attacked often, um, you know, with force, but many other times verbally for speaking Spanish specifically or any other language that doesn't happen to be English. And so um, I think that that's one of the things that drives my work. Um, Since most of the people in my field, most researchers, most leading dual language experts still continue to be white um, males and heterosexuals, um, females as well. And there are very few of us who are people of color. I feel like it's my opportunity to really represent and be that um, disruptor that I wish I had had um, when I was um, a brand new teacher in the schooling system. Plus, you know, the queer um, intersection, of course, makes everything more fabulous. I mean, I cause disruption and discomfort wherever I go, which just makes me so excited.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to hear you explain Desmadre. but one of the other things that I wanted... Um, To bring up is that it's really been amazing because one of my jobs as an editor for dual language is that I host a teacher of the month program where we award a different dual language teacher each month and we talk about their accomplishments. And it's been so amazing seeing the teachers who were awarded the teacher of the month who are now all going to get their doctorate degrees to become administrators. I mean, I can think of easily Carrie Valencia, Angela Palmieri, all people who were inspired by the work that you do to go get their doctorates. Like Carrie Valencia said that to me right away.
2: I'm, I mean, don't make me cry because I've been a mess <laughs> all freaking day with, you know, I know, the I know. Even I've been yeah. so excited. And, um, so one of the things that I, that I always share with teachers is that as an openly queer educator who I've never had the privilege of being straight passing, um, I never had any of my principals or assistant principals ever want to mentor me even though I was a rockstar teacher and they exploited my talents and I did so many things after school and on weekends and they always depended on me. But I I never had one, one administrator in all of those years as a teacher in Texas say, Jose, you should go get your administrative certification. You really have what it takes to be an assistant principal or a principal. And that is bullshit because the reason that they didn't try to help me and mentor me is because I was gay and they didn't see me as somebody that would be able to move in the world of administration. And so I tell the teachers that I serve all over the country and internationally, like you are the answer. You are the person, the administrator that you've been waiting for. Because the truth is that white heterosexual men mentor, tend to mentor white heterosexual men who then turn around and mentor white heterosexual men And so, um, for me, it was really important to break that pattern. And it was actually my husband, um, Alvin Antonio Tony, who said, "Medina." He calls me Medina because he's a retired sergeant major. He's he served twenty years, twenty-one years in the army. And he was like, "Uh, "Medina, you're doing all of this work. Like, why don't you become an administrator?" And I was like, "I'm gay. (laughs)
0: Like,
2: I can't. I'm gay. Like, there's no way. No, they wouldn't let me." And he's like which means, alguien te diga hacer. And I was like, okay, I can do it. And so I already had a master's degree. So I went back and received my administrative certification and I interviewed for that first AP job. And i it's so funny, I tried to lower my voice. I tried to like posture for the first couple of interviews. I interviewed seven times. I interviewed for seven positions. And then finally, Tony said be yourself and so on that eighth interview i went in and i was like so i'm an openly gay chicano um spanglish speaking language learner my areas of expertise are how to serve emergent bilingual students sub and i got the (laughs) position and i've been disrupting ever since i've been gayifying the united states educational system i mean that's my goal
0: (laughs) well and chloe just for like your edification So like normally we have these big conferences or these big like teaching summits and you know, you hear like speech after speech, I hear speech after speech from these people and like they're going through these seminars and they all sound like variations of the same thing right and then jose comes in and it is just like an explosion of energy and honestly like what i wanted to say to you that i thought was interesting as you were speaking like i also think that you have a way of validating women because women also like don't advocate for themselves and women also like are more likely to allow a man to like step in, to take a higher role that even though they deserve. But like, when I talk about women, like I mentioned earlier from the Teacher of the Month program, I do think that you really empower them also. The reason
2: that I I advocate for women is that women shaped me. Uh, My mother, Margarita, with um, only the opportunity to receive a sixth grade education from Juarez, um, is my greatest mentor and was my first teacher. She taught me how to read. Um, in Spanish that year, that kindergarten year that I was kicked out for not speaking Spanish, uh, not speaking English. Um, And then my abuelita Juanita, my mom's mom, um, she took care of us um, a lot in our childhood. And, um, you know, she would pull her chancla, her slipper, and, you know, give us a good, you know, hit when we didn't listen to what she was telling us to do. But she also taught me um, my life's motto, which is lo que se dice, se hace what you say. And also
0: the title of his first book.
2: (laughs) The title of my first testimonial book, Lo que se dice, se hace what you say you do. And so for me, um, as somebody who has been marginalized as a student, but also as an educator, I feel like um, women, specifically women of color, have often just been thrown to the side. And so I know that whatever privilege I have access to right now, because even as, as, you know, as a gay man and, and, and a Latina person, I, I carry privilege now. Um, all of us have privilege of some kind. I know that my job is to open doors and pull people in. And if it's women, they go to the front because, um, because they deserve to be at the front. They deserve to be at the front. Yeah, so um, I've done a lot of work, Chloe, around testimonials. Testimonial is testimony work. And it's actually a research methodology um, that originated in, in Latin America, but because it was brown folks that were engaging in this research, it was often not um, amplified and utilized and revered. And so I, along with other researchers in the field, have really taken this testimonial work um, and and done some deep understanding and analysis of it so that kids um, can really value who they are. And one of the activities that we do with educators is it's called three words. and for example, I am many things. Um, I am a son, I'm a husband, I'm a dongle, um, I'm an educator, um, I am an advocate, but at the core, each of us, um, the decisions that we make really go through two or three lenses. And so um, by you as an individual identifying what are my three words that at the core really um, create that intersection for everything that you do, then you can better serve others. And so. Um, My three words are language learner, English language learner, that's shaped my life, um, gay, and Mexican. Those three pieces really um, have driven my life's mission. And so in this activity, um, participants in our professional workshops, um, they have to identify the meanest thing that they have ever as educators said, thought, or have heard others say about first, gay people. Second, Um, English language learners. And third, Mexicans. And so um, the participants fully share. And so for gay, um, I mean, I've been called a pervert. I've been called a pedophile. I've been, I've had families want their kids out of my, um, out of my classroom. I've been called a joto, a maricon, a sissy, a pato, um, all of these things. And um, the same for the other two, you know, language learners need to learn English. We're in America. Um, Mexicans are rapists and murderers. Like, But then at the end of the session, what I have the um, educators do is they come back with some of the most amazing things that they could say about the gay community, the LGBTQ plus community, um, language learners in their classrooms, um, and those that are from Latina families, right? And we cover them with another post-it note but we leave the negative underneath because they need to understand that it's always right below the surface. And if um, January the sixth has taught us anything, as well as the past four years, um, is that it's always been under the surface. It always has been. So
1: yeah, oh, it's gonna make me emotional today. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no. It's so good though. I love that.
2: I mean, Chloe, I'm trying my best, and our team. Um, I lead a team of of 16 people and we're all out there just really um, ensuring that teachers understand that all of us are biased and that all of us are flawed and that if we're going to engage in sociocultural competence, which is really seeing the similarities, but also the differences in each other and seeing the differences as ways to connect. Um, if we're gonna engage in critical consciousness work, which is really about leveraging your privilege to create access for uh, others to, to be able to get to that privilege as well. It's about chipping away systems of oppression. Um, when you get teachers, educators, administrators to understand that, then maybe we can begin the journey of engaging our students in that process as well. And as a former principal, I can tell you that it, it can be a reality um, on the campus where I served last, we had um, dual language programming as well as monolingual programming. And all of the kids um, wanted to be bilingual and biliterate, and all of them um, wanted their little bracelet that said, I'm a defender of equity and social justice, soy defensor de la equidad y justicia social. At four and five years old, they were taught that their job was to serve others. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need. So that's that's what I try to um, that's what I try to promote.
1: Love that. Well, I wanted to ask a little bit too, like as much as you feel comfortable, like your kind of your coming out story and what that was like, I mean, you touched on it a little bit professionally, but you know, with your parents, it seems like, you know, your mom's a big support system as much as you feel comfortable. would love to hear a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So I think the first thing that I would want um, your listeners, um, and I know that you're also recording this, your viewers um, to know, especially your, those of you that identify as heterosexual Please understand that, that for those of us that are a part of the LGBTQ plus community, we have to come out every single day, often multiple times a day. Every single time that I facilitate um, a professional learning session, I have to, within the first five minutes, let them know about my family's education. I need to let them know that I was a Spanish speaker, um, that I'm a language learner, that I'm married to Alvin Antonio Diaz Cruz Medina, because that's the only way then that I'm able to push their boundaries and get them to be critically self-reflective. And I think that all starts with my family. I have an amazing family. Um, So Mexicanos son de Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua. Uh, My mom, as I mentioned, went up to the sixth grade. My dad went up to the fifth grade. Um, They uh, moved over to El Paso, Texas when um, they were pregnant with me. So I was actually made in Mexico, I know, but I was born in the United States, um, <laughs> and so um, they they didn't have a lot of opportunities. So they worked in factories. Um, they sewed Levi's jeans, and they worked also for Farah, another um, textile uh, manufacturing company. Um, very Mexican, very um, Catholic. Um, I know that that um, I'm making a generalization, but they're often tends to be some machismo in some communities and families and so um that is the the environment that I grew up in um I remember being like three or four years old and um I took one of my mom's uh, magazines and there was a picture of one of my favorite singers. Um, He used to come out in a TV show on Sundays that Mexican families watched called Siempre en Domingo, which was like a variety show on Sundays. Um, His name is Juan Gabriel. Maybe you've heard of him. If not, Mm -hmm. you have to YouTube him. So, um, I remember being three, four years old and cut out a picture of Juan Gabriel. And I remember hiding it underneath um, my socks, in my sock drawer. Um, my brother and I had um, twin beds and the sock drawer thingy was in the middle, you know, the little chest thingy. Um, and and so I knew from a very young age that that I loved people that I shouldn't love in that way. Like there, there was something that was different. Um, I mentioned that I was in straight passing, so my mom and my dad always had to contend at family reunions, Christmas parties, birthday parties with my uncles, um, specifically on my dad's side, um, making fun of me um, and calling me a faggot. Um, I remember one particular Christmas, um, we were at a get together um, at my grandmother's house, my paternal grandmother's house, and I was running, and I guess I was running like a girl, and one of my uncles made a comment and my dad got pissed off. And so he and my dad started arguing and all of a sudden my uncle um, pulled out a gun. And I remember that all of a sudden um, my dad and my mom pushed us into the back of the pickup truck and, um, and took us away to safety to um, another uncle and aunt's house. Um, we didn't even sleep in our own home that day, that night, because that uncle um, wanted to kill me. Because I was um, embarrassing our Mexican family. Um, and that's just one instance. I mean, my cousins were horrible to me. Even when I would go to Juarez, they would call me Joto en ballena, which means like um, fat whale, you know, fat gay whale, and, and things like that. Um, so I was very scared to come out. Um, my brother, Gilberto, who's three years younger than I, I'm the oldest, um, he really is everything. I think my my father specifically wanted in a firstborn son um, he was very athletic and played baseball and was handsome and thin and um the girls wanted to date him and the boys wanted to be you know best friends with him and I just wasn't I just wasn't and so um I hid from them um I came out um in school when I was about um sixteen years old. Um, I had a very traumatic um, middle school and high school um, experience as a gay boy. Um, I actually changed high schools, um, came back to my original high school once I came out. Um, once I came out at school, um, I, I had an easier time. One of my friends that I met who was also gay, his name is Gabriel. Um, he taught me how to be gay. Like he um he was more um more comfortable in being gay. And so he taught me how to be sassy and like yeah. have all of the comebacks. And so when the kids in high school would say, you faggot, you know, I would turn around and be like, what, you want to date? You know, and <laughs> and then they'd, you know, be petrified and horrified. Um, yeah. But, but basically, things got a little bit better my junior and senior year in high school I, when I started owning who I was. But it wasn't until my 20s that I came out to my parents because that was a very different situation. Um, I came out to my sister when she was 10. My sister was a surprise. I'm 11 years older than her. There's a cool poem in the new book that I wrote called Boys Don't Cry where um, I um, write about that experience. She saved me as well because she became my living, breathing doll. And so I came out to her when she was like two or three years old. Of course she didn't understand, but then I came out to her when she was 10, um, and so she was the first, my brother Gilberto was the second. And my brother Gilberto, when I came out to him, um, we were outside um, of our house by the garage and my house, my family's home um, has brick around the garage. And my brother Gilberto actually punched the, the brick when I came out to him um, because he was so devastated. Um, he's awesome, though. Um, immediately supported me and was like, what do we need to do? Who's bullying you? And he had done that my whole life. But now when confronted with the words, I'm gay, um, that was his reaction. Immediately turned it around and turned it around. And um, I have to say that now, you know, he has kids um, and is married to a wonderful um, woman, my sister-in-law, Ana. And, and the thing that I love about Gilberto and Ana is that My three nieces and my nephew, from the time that they were little, all they have known is um, their Tio Junior and their Tio Tony. So like from the time that they were little, they knew that um, their uncles um, were married and they were both male. And so they have raised the most fabulous kids. And, you know, they draw pictures in school of their two favorite gunkles, of (laughs) course, Um, and then my parents, it was a different story. My parents, my mom, um, accepted it much more quickly. It took my dad a while, um, within a couple of days, um, he, he told me that he loved me, but it was definitely a process. Um, it, I would say that for them to feel comfortable took a couple of years by the time that I met my husband, um, my now husband at the age of, of 32 is when I met him, um, they were ready, I think. And they love um, Tony more than they love me, I think, which is awesome. Um, but but they've come around, and, and um, now the four of us um, travel every year. Prior to COVID, um, we took a trip of a lifetime every year because my parents always dreamed of traveling. And so my mom and my dad, who only still speak Spanish, which is wonderful, and who have a limited education, um, they've traveled with um, Tony and I to Russia and to Germany and France and Spain and Italy. I mean, they've been like all over the world. They're like world travelers, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of amazing. Um, so I guess that's, that, that's, it's a long journey. It's a journey. So I would tell your listeners that um, everyone has a different path to their coming out and um, everyone's unique story and um, experience is valuable. Um, this is just mine.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to talk about because you mentioned machismo and I want to talk about Boys Don't Cry, also your book. Uh, As you know, because I had you watch it, I created a short film um, that was also about LGBTQ identity growing up in machismo culture, which is a lot of what you talk about in Boys Don't Cry. And I know that Boys Don't Cry was dedicated towards parents and like the dual language community being more open in accepting people of LGBTQ identity. And I want to hear like about why you wanted to create it, what your journey was to creating it. And even like, I know Velasquez Press is the publisher, but like what, um, getting a company to publish it, like we want to hear all about that.
2: Sure, so I, I'm really grateful to my colleagues at Velazquez Press because um, once, once I started to, to serve at the national, and international levels, like, there were people that reached out to me to, to share my story, but I decided to go with Velazquez Press because it was important for me that the children's books that I write, um, which are in English and in Spanish, I wanted to make sure that, that they were in both languages, that they allowed me to have creative control because I didn't wanna sugarcoat the stories um, that I was sharing with kids. Um, and so the books are in English, with Spanglish, and they're in Spanish. With Spanglish, mm. and I remember the conversation that allowed me to decide to go with Velasquez Press because um, I had spoken to a couple other people, and for the Spanish book versions, they kept saying, "Well, so how would we translate this into English?" And I said, "Well, my grandmother didn't speak English, so it has to be in Spanish." And they were like, "Wait a minute, but it's the English translation book." I said, "I know, but anytime my grandmother, my mother, or my father speak." in the English version, it has to be in Spanish because they don't Mm -hmm. speak English, which was like blowing their minds. They were like, what? It's the English book. And I'm like, it's the English book, but my parents and my grandmother speak Spanish. And that's how I want it published. And Mm -hmm. Velasquez Press was like, yes, love it. Love it, love it, love it. And so um, that's where it started. This third book is scary. It was scary to write because in um, Latino, Latine, Latinx families, Um, there's a lot underneath the service that we often don't talk about colorism. Like we are so biased towards people that are dark, um, that are darker than us. Um, black folks, there is an undercurrent of colorism. And the other big one that impacts me every day is there's a huge undercurrent, um, in terms of bias towards the LGBTQ plus community. And so what I wanted with this book is I wanted to share my story as a child, as a teenager, but also as an educator um, and really tackle that LGBTQ plus issue in a positive way. And I think the reason I was ready is that um, I've been doing this now, um, you know, at this national global level for I think like six, seven years, something like that. And I figured that I had laid enough of a foundation that people would yep. be willing to listen and that educators would be like, Jose said we need to be sharing this book, yeah. we need to be sharing this book. And, <laughs> and that was important to me because teachers will talk about um, you know, Martin Luther King and, and Black Lives Matter. Sometimes they don't, but they're, they're willing to do that more. But somehow they want to keep their homophobia and their transphobia. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that, y'all. Like, you can't (laughs) say that you're working to be anti-bias, anti-racist, but, you know, except if you're a black trans woman. And so I call them out, Chloe. Like, I'm a hot mess. I throw bombazos, like, nobody's business. But then after I throw the bombazos, I'm like, it's okay. Sana, sana, Colita de rana. You're right. (laughs) Go go be critically self-reflective. And so I figured that that's that's why it was the right time. Um, I talk about... Um, The book, in terms of a love letter to my um, father, the first poem is actually about my dad. Uh, My dad took me to the park when I was like five years old and my dad loves baseball. He loves the Los Angeles Dodgers. My brother does as well. And um, he tried to teach me how to play baseball, Chloe. I mean, Laura knows this because she's read the book and I was a hot mess. Like I was so terrified of the ball, the ball just kept going over my head. And um, I just remember seeing a look in my dad's face and understanding that I wasn't what he dreamed of. And that was like horrible, like the horrible feeling at five years old, knowing that you were, um, a mistake in the eyes of some and, um, and I just know that there are others, even today, because I know that there's so much to be grateful for in terms of the movement of the LGBTQ plus community. But I also know that there's a lot of work still to be done
0: yeah.
2: um, by adults, not just those that were serving in schools, but by the adults that are providing that service. And so that's why I wrote it, because I feel like um, they've gotten to know me and my two prior books that have been fully transparent. Um, and so now was the time... Um, The other push that I got is that about two and a half years ago, I was serving um, a school district and a dual language uh, middle school principal um, didn't want me to facilitate professional learning for the teachers on that campus because he had gone to my training and said, you know, that I was really good and my strategies were great, but that I was just too gay.
0: I I wanted you to talk about that.
2: This was only two years ago? Like two and a half years ago? Yeah, and I was an invited guest Mm -hmm. to that district And this dual language administrator said that I was too gay and that he didn't feel that the teachers on that campus should go to my training. And I'm like really strong, Lauren, but I'm also super fragile as well because I've gone through a lot. And I remember just being destroyed by that comment, also destroyed by the fact that it wasn't an isolated incident. I mean, I get attacked on social media all the time and it's one of two things, you're too Mexican or you're too gay. And so that just led me to believe that this is something that I could change at least through the dual language lens. Um, I'm somebody that can hopefully share information at least in my field. And if in my field I can um, cause people to think and say, you know what? you are homophobic. You may have a a gay best friend, but have you ever shared with your kids what it means to be gay at the age of three and four? Because if you have not, then you are homophobic. You're just a homophobic person who happens to have a gay friend. Like getting teachers to understand that has been my mission and my goal. And I want you to know that there's still a fear of, of sharing the book in dual language schools, even though it's one of our goals, even though it's the foundational goal, sociocultural competence and critical consciousness are the foundation of dual language programming and they're still afraid. So there's a lot to do. There's a lot to
1: yeah. do. Yeah. So much more to do. And just you saying like two years ago, just shows like, it just wasn't that long ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. That And I feel like it's good that we're looking at it. At least some people are looking at it through a different lens, but like, it just was not that long ago. that like, You know what I mean? It's crazy to think about. Well, well and yeah. a certain
0: orange guy who got dragged out of the White House today made all of that kind of language a lot more acceptable.
1: Yeah, just, yeah. Just brought up back all these feelings. You saying you're getting trolled on the internet. I can only imagine what that looks like and how terrible that is. But I do think social media is great in the sense that you can spread these things now. And I think people are becoming more aware of how they speak about it and how they approach it. But, but yeah, still so much more work to do.
2: Absolutely, and... I think the, the message, cause I know you have a, a young audience that also listens to, I'm a little bit more seasoned than the two of you. I'm not old, I'm seasoned. Um, and I would say to, to, to the listeners and to the viewers, um, that if you're struggling with loving who you are, know that it's a normal thing and that it's an ongoing thing, that that will never truly go away, but that you do, um, step-by-step, step, uh, go further in really coming to terms not even coming to terms that in loving who you are um because that's really really important for me I I often tell myself I don't know if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race but you know how yes. like closer to the finals and stuff they show them their pictures what would you say to uh, you a, a young Monet mm-hmm. exchange or whatever right I I've thought about that and I wish that I could go back um, and, and tell my younger self some things. I started to think about killing myself when I was about five years old. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. And I didn't know exactly how I would do it. But I just knew that I wanted it all to end as young as like four and five years old. Mm. And I wish I could go back and tell that young you know, kid that at three, four years old was hiding a picture of Juan Gabriel um, you know, in his sock drawer, that, that one day you would meet this awesome person um, who loves all of you and who loves the long name and all of the drama and the baggage that you carry and that it is that baggage and those failed relationships and that self-hatred that at one point you had now dictates your life's mission and they not only are okay with it but see it as the most wonderful and and fabulous thing that one can bring into the space and and tony does that for me it's so crazy because i'll tell teachers um, you know, my full name and then I'll tell him why the Diaz Cruz, and I'll say, um, and some of you think you have strong marriages, but I mean sure I really have the strongest marriage. Um, and it's not even a heterosexual one because he is just super, super supportive, super supportive of everything that I do. And he he you know, he glows in his own light because he's fabulous and outgoing and um brilliant. But when um when he goes to conferences and, and sees people's reactions um to me when I'm presenting he like is there to support and and allows the light to to fully fall on my on my head you know on my being and when it's his time to shine I do the same thing because um it takes a really strong person to be with me I'm telling you Chloe I don't have to tell Lauren this because Lauren works with me but I'm a hot mess Mm -hmm. um and 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 you need somebody that's willing to engage in really honest conversations about everything to be your partner. And so just for the listeners know that that he she they are out there. Like I remember being with um with my partner in my 20s and waking up not really caring if if he loved me anymore. Like it wasn't about love. My wish every morning was that it wouldn't be a bad day and that at least there wouldn't be torture.
0: Well, Jose, you've given so much amazing advice today, but I do think we have somebody who could use a little bit of your specific specialized advice. So our letter writer today asks, Dear Damsels, I grew up in a very strict household as my parents come from conservative, religious, and political beliefs, and they are extremely homophobic. I've come out to basically my whole school, my friends, and even have a boyfriend. If you met me, let's just say I'm an open book but my parents are in denial and I don't have the heart to tell them. I feel like I'm living a lie, but the fear of living without my parents because of their views also feels terrifying. How can I be my authentic self while maintaining a relationship with my parents? Sincerely, out to the world, but not my home.
2: Yeah, so thank you for sharing the letter um, prior so that I had a little bit of time to um, reflect. Yeah. Um, First of all, to to out to the world, but not my home, to this um, individual, just know that I connected with your words and I'm so very thrilled uh, for you for taking um, this moment to actually reach out to others. So I was super excited that she, that she, he, they, um, I don't want to assume anything um, that, that they wrote to dear damsels to, um, to connect. Um, I think that the piece that for me really um, struck a chord is the authentic self So when I hadn't told my parents, I know that one of the things that I considered was that my mother and my father might make the decision to never um, have a strong relationship with me from that point forward. Like that crossed my mind. It's the reason why I waited until my early 20s um, to come out you know even though i had come out in school and and um to my friends and family um with the exception of, of the two of them um but what i kept coming back to was do you, do i want to live a lie and i have to tell this this person this individual who wrote um this to connect with you all once that was clear in my head do i want to live a lie and the answer for me was no then that really facilitated the decisions that came after that. And so I knew that I didn't want to um, take my last breath one day and not have two of my favorite people, Margarita and Jose Luis, know me, truly know me. And although it was petrifying and it took some time at the beginning I now see my life and I know that there's no way that I would be where I am today that I would have been able to serve others the way in which Mm -hmm. I hopefully do. If, if I had not made that decision. Um, I know that it sounds cheesy, but you know, there, that's that, there's that, um, movement on social media. It gets better. Um, it it really does, and the moment that I came out to my friends at high in high school, it got better. And the moment that I found somebody that was my high school crush, so I'm I'm excited that you know there's a boyfriend here. Um, my life got better, um, and with each little step, it continued to get better. Um, when I told my parents, it got better. Um, when I started telling people at school, um, when I became a teacher, that I was gay, um, even if they already um, wondered it, it got better. Um, and so at the end of the day, the question for this individual is going to be, um, do I want to be that authentic self? And if so, am I willing to risk it all? And I just have to tell you that I, I was willing to risk it all because I knew that that's the only way that I could fully breathe. And once I took that decision, I also owned my um, ness. I owned my language-ness, my Spanglish-ness. It it just helped everything to become um, an intersectionality that was viable for me. Um, But if for some reason you decide that you really feel that your relationship with your parents is something that you cannot risk and you decide that this is not the decision that you want to take. um, then that's also your decision because every individual, uh, and every individual's journey is different. And so, um, All the rest of us can do is just offer our own experience and hopefully um, you can take something from that. And and I wish this person so much fabulosity and so much strength. And also um, I wish this person um, joy because there's joy to come when you don't have to lie to anyone about who you are. I mean, look, I'm talking to two gorgeous ladies here and I started by saying I'm queer, I'm a Spanglish speaker, I have a husband and I just want you to know that that is the best feeling in the world and I sleep much better too, so.
1: I just love this message because I think just listening to you talk, you could, you could be filled with so much resentment and you aren't and you're just like so ready to take your experiences and just educate people. And I think like you said, with your parents being educated, a part of that education is unlearning Mm -hmm. and acknowledging your privilege and giving the mic to other people like I just love this conversation and thank you so much for coming on and talking about all this. Yes.
2: No, you're very welcome. Thank you for bringing that unlearning piece. It's so important. All of us are unlearning as well.
0: You yes. made me so happy. So thank you yes. for coming on today. I'm so glad we did
1: this today. <laughs> this was so thank cute. you. I had
2: so much fun, y'all. Yeah. I had yes. so much fun. I mean, and as soon as I got the email from Laura I was like, Hello, yes.
1: Yes, Sent from my phone, yes. We will
2: will make it happen. Lauren has been so supportive and is such a co-conspirator. She's not an ally. She's a co-conspirator. And um, it's been such a blessing um, working alongside her for three years, I guess. Um, Yeah, I guess three years.
0: Yeah. Maybe longer, I guess. I just remember us first talking about you writing your books, having wine at one of those conferences. And it just is amazing to see it all coming together. And like, the way that your fan base has just grown and grown and grown and how your message has really meant so much to so many people. And I'm just so grateful that we got to share a little bit of that with our listeners today.
2: No, thank you. If your listeners want more, um, you can always find me on TikTok at Jose Medina One Thousand. I'm the language researcher who also dances. Um, I share a lot of research, but in palatable ways um, and strategies. But of course, I dance because I went to a lot of quinceañeras in my hometown of El Paso and Juarez, and I'm a really good dancer. Um, yeah. And um, Instagram is Jose Medina One Thousand as well. And then um, on Twitter, Jose Medina. JR. Junior, Jr. 89. That's the year that I graduated from high school. Jose Medina, 1000 was taken, whatevs. Um, And so that's the only one that's different. But thank you for this opportunity. I'm so excited to see the final product, to hear the final product. So um, thanks for all that you're doing to create space for folks like me. And where
0: can we buy your books?
2: We can um really really go directly to um, www.velazquezpress, V-E-L-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z, press p r e s s dot com forward slash j m as in Joe the name that was given to me in school but now Jose the name that we own Medina um so you can find the three poetry books for children but also for adults. Uh, available in English and in Spanish with Spanglish, of course.
0: Well, thank Thank you so, so much. This has been incredible. We love Jose. I know, I know. I feel really lucky to work with him. Well, everyone, please write us your letters.
1: Please definitely DM us. And we're excited now. I don't think we've acknowledged that we've joined Believe Podcast Network, which we love. Um, They're another great avenue for promotion. You should check out all of their shows too. We're super excited to be on board with them. But yeah, write us your letters, subscribe, rate, review, all those good things. All right, guys. Well, until next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.